Welcome back, Blockheads, to the Dungeon Master, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Ian. And I'm your other host today, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today we are going to be talking about the rule of cool with Kim Hidalgo, who is a writer, an actress, and the master of destiny for the Girls, Guts, and Glory podcast. But before we do that, Neil, we have a couple of iTunes reviews. It's not a podcast. I'll give you a hard time about that. It's actually, it's an actual play you can watch on YouTube oh. and it's glorious and girls and guts. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> So we have an iTunes review, and I would like to say, first up, that this is a very well done review. So we'll go with that. And it is from Lana Seed. I'm just doing the best I can with the letters I've been presented. And it is a five-star rating, and it is titled, You Can Always Learn More. I've been DMing for almost 40 years, and this podcast is a breath of fresh air. The enthusiasm of the host is infectious. I don't always agree with them, but that is what is great about DMing. Every DM is different. And it is the differences that allow us to learn from each other. That is what makes DMing an art. Even when I disagree with their perspective, I learn something from it. Story time can get a little long at times. Did I mention their enthusiasm? But it is a fun segment and I can't fault them for wanting to talk about their games. And this is where I will take over. The light bulb segment is one of the most unique things about the podcast. Presenting some interesting ways of spicing up game night. And I love the top 10 lists of plot campaigns and ideas. Wait until you listen and catch up to our, you know, top 40. Mm-hmm. Even when, especially when, there are they are absolutely ridiculous. Hashtag food mage. Hashtag yeah. level 20 commoner. I highly recommend this podcast for starting DMs and for those who have been doing it since the dawn of the game. It is a great way to get fired up about the craft again. Thanks, guys, and keep them coming. You are quite welcome, yes. sir. <laughs> and well-crafted argument there. <laughs> definitely. We may have gotten rid of the light bulb, but we definitely stepped up the game in terms of the campaign ideas. But with that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flight meat's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> So, like we said, for the meet today, we're going to be talking about the ever-amazing Rule of Cool. And today with us, we have an amazing guest. I'm super excited, and I'm going to try and reserve asking too many questions about the amazing actual play she does. But we have Kim Hidalgo, writer and actress, and the master of destiny for Girls, Guts, and Glory. (laughs) Yep, that's me. Awesome. So, to start off, I mean... Not that I don't know a lot of this answer, but can you tell us about Girls Guts Glory? <laughs> sure. So Girls Guts Glory, we actually started, it's an all-girls Dungeons & Dragons group. So it started when my sister, Erica, who plays La La Lemon Boots, she came to me and said, I want to start a D&D group. And I was like, okay, what is it? And she kind of explained it to me. And I was like, you know what? It sounds cool to be the DM because you get to create the story. And do all the other characters, and that's how it started, and so I jumped right into DMing. So, yeah, it was fun, though. And now it's on YouTube, and we're doing a show for Wizards of the Coast on their D&D Twitch channel. So, yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you guys 
definitely need to go check that out because the production value is very high and it makes me laugh constantly. I rewatched, <laughs> I rewatched a bunch of them just to make sure I was up on the material before we started today. Oh, good. So is it, I mean, this is just a random question since you're here and I get to ask questions. Is it only on the D&D Twitch stream going forward for now or? No. So eventually once we finish our show for them, I think our last episode is in August. Then a month later, it'll be on our YouTube channel. So you guys can catch it there as well. And then we're, we're toying around trying to kind of figure out a way to start live streaming potentially, but we're still in the early stages of figuring that out. And that we have our own Twitch channel. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So definitely go check that out. And since we don't have a surprise question, stage it up. I'm going to come up with one on the fly. And since you had mentioned you are only really a dungeon master starting out. Yes. I wonder what is your favorite character that you've played as? It's funny because if anyone watched the stream of Annihilation on the D&D Twitch channel, I had played a character an NPC who was like a little boy halfling, but who was super strong and a fighter in our most recent adventure. And I had so much fun playing him. Um, so at the stream of Annihilation, I played him in the Tower of the Curator. And then for those, I mean, spoiler alert, but he gets disintegrated by a beholder. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure Morgan Jenkins would appreciate the uh, fighter halfling. Definitely. And for those who don't know, you can go check out the GM Showcase where Morgan plays a fighter named Tian, whose catchphrase is, I'm a fighter. And that was his explanation for everything. I'm a fighter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Morgan. <laughs> so like I said, we're here today to talk to Kim about the rule of cool. And before we rule get started, cool. I wanted to define it as the internet and TV tropes say, it is the limit of the willing suspension of disbelief for a given element is directly proportional to its awesomeness. <laughs> it, but, you know, that's the legit definition for sure. <laughs> I figured to kick things off, we can go around the group and talk about what the rule of cool means to each of us at our tables. And, and we can start with you, Kim. Well, the fact that I was a new dungeon master, I feel like we play, we're not these like rule monger type table. We are all still learning. So, you know, it would have just been impossible to jump right in and be, you know, really strict on the rules when <laughs> we're all still pretty new. And so ours kind of concentrates on the RPG, uh, the role-playing element of the game. And so we, we do some rule of cool for sure. I mean, admittedly, you have that disclaimer at the beginning of every episode on your YouTube channel where you say, girls barely following the rules. Oh, so. yeah. WTF, girls only kind of following the rules. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's still awesome. <laughs> girls only kind of. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the rule of cool is... Collaborative storytelling, simply because players come up, I, in my experience, up with better ideas than I do, and allowing for me to engage their willing suspension of disbelief by incorporating their elements through that collaborative storytelling process. And so, uh-oh, Neil just sent me a, his computer just did the blue screen of death on him. So, it might just be us Oh, no. Bit. Yeah. Okay. So... We're going to keep recording until he jumps back in. So for me, it's just that collaborative storytelling element that helps the suspension of disbelief 
be more real for the players because I can create a, a, a world, a story that's engaging, but they're not going to like have all this buy-in unless they're directly influencing the storyline. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's fun. Alice in our last game, you know, was going to collect provisions and she was like, oh, look at this bread. It's, it's, what did she say? Oh, this truffle bread and this, and she was kind of describing all this food that she was finding, you know, that wouldn't, it's just fun when they get to get into the game mm-hmm. and create the world around, you know, and sometimes it, it is kind of like, oh, I mean, we wouldn't, they wouldn't really have that in this jungle, but sure, why not? Because, you know, you're having fun and we're all having fun. And really that's our most important thing when we play is having fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we like to say here too, that the Dungeon Masters block, that rules can be flexible for the sake of story. We're not big rule guys here, although, you know, Rules are there to help you play the game. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of nerds sitting around telling you a story, with, which is cool. But, you know, we're actually playing a game and games have rules. Yeah. But we like to say that story always trumps rules, especially for something awesome. If I have yeah. a character that's describing like a kill or something like that, a player describing a kill and they want to make five hits on their nat 20 to like destroy this. Yeah, sure. Go for it. It's not in the rules. You only get one hit. But... Because it's awesome, because I'm trying to give you buy-in, go for it, you know? I mean, and if the monster's dying anyway, then, you know, (laughs) why why not do it with five hits and one or two? Yeah, so um, I think it's Matt Mercer who's like, um, like, how would you like to do Mm -hmm. this? Or, you know, describe. And I think that's fun, too, to, like, let the players have, use their imagination. Like, how would, I'm going to kill this monster? I want to do that. Like, how am I going to do it? It's pretty fun. Well, I, I had DMs all throughout my player career that would tell me how I killed the creature. I'm like, but that's not as much fun as mm-hmm. me describing to you how I see my character taking this thing out. But that's not how I would. So, yeah. That's actually something I learned at the Stream of Annihilation because I would do more of the, you know, they would tell me what, where they're aiming and then I would kind of explain what happens when they kill the creature. But in the Stream of Annihilation... I kind of learned that thing where it's, you know, you describe it. And mm-hmm. I really like that. So that's going to be in my next adventures. I'm starting to implement that more. Yeah, that's awesome. Because we're all, you know, we're still learning new things all the time because oh, none time. of us played before. So we kind of created our own version. If you watch our show, you'll see that we're in character the whole time, even when we're kind of describing what what's happening. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, Sujata, she plays Ichabod. She'll be like, I'm going to use my wool pick and I'm going to, you know, so she's in character while she's describing what she's doing as well. So that's kind of how we are a little different, but that's just how we assumed it was. And we're all actresses. So, you know, we're going to be in character all the time anyway, but. Which has got to be great for dialects and things like that, especially as you as a DM. I mean, that, that also, <laughs> I love using dialects. And so to have, accents and things like that also helps with that suspension of disbelief because not every character sounds the same. Not every NPC sounds the same. Accents, dialects help me to engage because, you know, not every, every person sounds the same, not, you know, and you my players love it when I'm trying to talk through a feminine NPC because I don't <laughs> speak like a man as a feminine NPC. And so they always like to make me try to talk in that falsetto or as a little kid, uh, I, there's this one character I had who stammered all the time or NPC. I mean, who stammered all the time. who was a little boy and they would, for whatever reason, the characters fell in love with this little boy. And I had to play that little boy for 
a long time. And <laughs> that's what happened with our, our characters. They fell in love with my little boy, my little boy halfling fighter. So their hearts were all broken when he disintegrated. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so awful. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, it, it, it's really awful. There's a whole hashtag, hashtag save Farron. So, you know, one day maybe they'll go on a quest to find someone with true resurrection that or would something. Be awesome. But <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But yeah, the accents are fun for sure. I mean, we, we are actresses, but we also like, you know, when if I've done movies where I've had an accent and I, it's, I work with a coach and I spend a lot of time on it, I don't do that for D&D. Right. So we have a warning at the beginning, terrible accents, <laughs> but it does, you know, but we also have the whole, you know, this world doesn't, isn't really our world. So, you know, our terrible Cockney accent, no, that's just how dwarves mm-hmm. talk, mm-hmm. you know, in the Forgotten Realms. That's, that's how they talk. Uh, <laughs> that's their accent. So uh, yeah, we just have fun right with on. it. So, you know, we, we talk about willing suspension of disbelief. We're talking about the rule of cool. I'd like to move into how we talk about how the threshold is different for every person at the table. Obviously, not everyone's going to be willing to suspend their disbelief as far as others. And mm-hmm. so how do we help encourage those players to willingly suspend their disbelief? You know, how to, to engage, how to cross that threshold. Because, like I said, not everybody's going to... It's not like a movie where you sit down and you're like, all right, I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to suspend my disbelief. You know, it's, you're sitting down with a bunch of friends. You're, you're goofing around. You're, you know, you're doing all these different things. And you have a DM who might not be able to tell as engaging of a story or the story's engaging, but people aren't suspending their disbelief like they would for a movie for whatever reason. So how do we encourage DMs to encourage their players yeah. to suspend their disbelief? It's tricky because my girls are all very... We're all about the story. So everyone's pretty cool with like, that's awesome. Let's do it. Cool. You know, Um, but I've played games with other people who are more all about the rules. And it's, it's just a different, it's a different environment. So I get it. Like I get if a person, if their game is all about the rules and they, they all want to do strategy and figure out, you know, how to, how to break it and, and, you know, level up and do all that stuff. I understand why the rule of cool would be annoying because, you know, playing in game nights with other games too, when rules are broken, it's like, well, what's the whole point? We were all doing strategy and all of a sudden this person breaks a rule and they're like, oh, you're being strict on rules. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that's the game. So I guess it's just, it just is how you look at it. For us, it's all about having fun and the story. And so for us, the rule of cool, everyone's pretty chill with it. But I see it from both sides. <laughs> I can see if your game is all about, you know, strategy and and stuff, why you'd be annoyed with the rule of cool. So it's, I guess, knowing what your table is and mm-hmm. talking to your players about, okay, well, how do you all feel about this? And then trying to find a happy medium. I guess. Yeah, with that experience thing, I don't hand out experience like like a DM would normally. I do milestone levels. So once I need mm-hmm. them to level up for story's sake, I might say at the you know in five E makes it really easy. I'm a three point five veteran. Leveling up was a chore and a half, but three in five E, it's super easy. You get an ability, maybe you 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 know you roll hit points and you're good to go. So yeah, milestone leveling I think is a great way to sort of get rule mongers out of the way a little bit if mm-hmm. that's an appropriate an appropriate thing also like i said i i emphasize at every one of my tables i'm like uh story trumps rules every time so if you have 
an issue with that, that might not, this might not be the table for you. And I'm totally fine with saying that. And, you know, but I, most people in my experience have been really cool with, with story trumping rules. And I think that is a great way as a DM to start encouraging your players to uh, suspend their disbelief a little more is if you are, if, if your table is full of rules, lawyers, maybe start saying, Nope, story trumps the rules. And, and you know, if, if this is going to be cool for the story, um, even if it's just the once, like, you know, a character decides to do something cool, uh, you know, and you're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'll let you do it this once. Don't think that that's going to work again or every time, but I'm going to let you do it this once because that's a cool story element and I, and I dig it. And so I think those are some ways that you can emphasize narrative over rules. And I think you'll be able to win over your players to the, to the rule of cool. Especially if you haven't ever done it before. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it adds an exciting element to it to not always know what is going to happen and to let your players get creative as well. Well, and then, you know, we, we have these things called dice in our game and the dice are not always kind. And so being able to suspend disbelief, I think, with dice is pretty cool too, especially if you're not a DM who, you know, fudges the dice. I, I'm... I don't like to kill my character, my PCs. I like to be on their side. But if it comes to character death, you know, that's also part of that suspension of disbelief, I think, because it is you're playing in a real world. And I use quotation marks there and it has consequences. So I think that allowing for the dice to actually speak is a good thing. Uh, and that helps influence the story because not everybody's awesome all the time. And that's part of the suspension of disbelief, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you guys are playing in 5e, right? Yeah, we're playing 5e. Yeah. So we, we like to talk about how some systems allow for more rule of cool than others. And since we're talking Dungeons & Dragons specifically, 3.5 versus 5e, 3.5, I don't feel like allowed for rule of cool as much because it was super rule heavy. I mean, there were feats for everything and, and, you know, like if you wanted, if you wanted anything in 3.5, there was a rule for it. And I think rules sometimes get in the way and it was very rigid. It was very inflexible at times, but 5e for me, when I converted over, allowed for a lot more of that. And I think the way it's built emphasizes that collaborative storytelling and, and you guys do that really well for sure. And you guys have kind of brought the rule of cool aspect to 5e, I think in a really in a really great way. Thanks. Yeah, we've only played 5e, so <laughs> we don't really have anything to compare it to. But yeah, we kind of, I, because we went into it, so kind of creating our own world in a way too, because also like Girls Guts Glory, what's on our YouTube, we at that point weren't working with Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards of the Coast. So we were like, oh, we don't want to get sued or in trouble for using their names of things. So we ended up changing things ourselves and creating our own character sheets, the Girls Guts Glory version. And so we were also more lenient about creating our own rules that we liked for that as well, because we're like, this is kind of mm -hmm. our own thing. We're, we're mm -hmm. taking D&D &D as the base of it, but for Girls Guts Glory, we can kind of do whatever we want. So that's kind of how that happened. Exactly. Well, and homebrew rules are amazing anyway. Uh, most of the time I've run into some homebrew rules that I'm like, wait, why would you do that? But like, you know, we homebrew rules all the time. Uh, and I think that especially for somebody who had never DM before homebrewing rules like that, that's that's awesome because 
not everybody would think to do that, especially if you didn't grow up around D and D and you you know you've never played before and you jump right into the DM's chair. That's that's kudos to you because I mean I don't know that I would have thought to make up my own rules. I'm like. I don't know, what does the book say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did a lot. I mean, we still do a lot of, oh, yeah. what does the book say? I mean, you know, I've been DMing now for a year, a year and a half or so. So I'm still looking at the rule book all the time. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes when I don't want to look at the rule book, I just say, okay, this is the rule. And we're all cool with it. But also all the yep. girls, it was all their first real, like my sister and her friend Rachel had played a little before, but maybe just, you know, a couple games. So we mm-hmm. were all still very new together. Which I think, you know, someone who'd played before in a really rule heavy game might have issues with the way we play if they'd been sitting at my table. But we all kind of did it together and figured it out together. So we just figured out what was fun for us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So usually, hey, there's Neil. Hi. Look at me. I'm saying stuff and it's recording it. Good enough. Okay. Woohoo. Yeah. Welcome back. So yeah, we're, if you want to interject on the systems, Neil, you want to give your input on that? So, well, I, yes, I will. So it's super weird because I'm jumping in so blind, which makes me happy, but like I can't, I still don't know what to do with that. Um, so I think one of the systems that allows for the rule of cool more than any that I've ever experienced before is the terrible RPG from Jim McClure where if you don't know what that is and you haven't listened to our actual play of it, essentially you just have a single sheet of paper, you write down six skills, anything, anything in your imagination, you write them down. And to do a skill, you tear the piece of paper and it has to take out part of that skill. And if you successfully tear, you successfully do whatever skill you wrote down. So we were playing in an 80s action film and I wrote down the term shark pool. Because, like, what good 80s villain doesn't have a pool of sharks? So <laughs> and that's, that's how we <laughs> defeated, like, the second in command was by her falling down the stairs. And I said that she hit the right combination of steps and fell into a shark pool. That's so great. It's lit- But see, with that one, it's like there's literally nothing other than the rule of cool. So it can get... No, I'm not going to say it can. I don't know that it can't get anything but absolutely crazy <laughs> i think fate also allows for a lot of that rule of cool stuff too now that we're talking about other systems than just D. but fate you know you get your core abilities and you have to like convince the dm to sort of let you use the ability or the gm i guess to use that ability and why that ability is appropriate in this setting so you're making the character describe why this loosely worded skill would be apropos for the situation that you're in and you have to give valid reason for that. And that, again, with buy-in, and you know, I've incorporated a lot of these various things into my D&D sessions because they're, they're really cool. The other one is Fantasy Flight's uh, Edge of the Empire series. It's all about rule of cool. <laughs> so you could, I mean, the, if you haven't played in any of those systems, I would encourage you maybe take a break from D&D and go do that because that, those systems are, are awesome, especially Fantasy Flight is really good. So are we, so then the last thing would be like the pros and cons. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if we want to start with the pros, I feel like I kind of showcased that with a shark pool being the way that we killed a henchman. But what do we each think the pros of using the rule of cool is? I think the rule of cool is a great way for your players to 
use their imagination. And I just think it's it makes things more fun to be able to get creative with what you're doing and how you're destroying things. So yeah, I just think it adds adds to the fun of the table, which for us is what it's all about. So that's a big pro for me. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's really cool to use it because you get more character buy-in. Like just hands down, you get more players buying into the fact that, hey, this is actually a real world that has been created from scratch out of the brain of, you know, whoever. And sometimes that can be scary because especially if it's a homebrew world, but, you know. But with this fantasy game, you know, there has to be some of that buy-in. Otherwise, I mean, what's the point of, of being there? And this was this was my question earlier that I forgot. How much of the real world do you inject into your fantasy game? And for me, that is one of the best parts of the of the rule of cool because if there are elements that are relatable in your game to the real world, people are going to buy into it a lot more. Uh, especially like in my world, the, the human kingdom is an empire that's Rome, basically, and people can relate to Rome because I have legionnaires and I have very Latin-sounding names. But it's a fantasy world. They use magic and they use you know whatever else. But it's a very high fantasy setting in a Roman culture. And I borrow heavily from the Roman culture in terms of that. And that makes, I think, the suspension of disbelief a little bit more easy to do because you have things that are relatable. And so for me, that's definitely a, a pro is finding things that, that help players engage, like borrowing things from everyday life. Cool. I feel like I don't use a ton of real life. I made all my character. I, I wrote out basically questions that would make all my characters write a backstory. So I use a lot of that. So I'll, I'll say, you know, tell me something about past lovers or past people in your past who, who have hurt you so that I can bring those characters back into my campaigns and kind of surprise them. We know, you know, who knows when someone from their past might show up. So, but as far as like real life stuff, well, Allie, our bard is a real life musician. So she'll play music while we're sitting at the table. Yeah, that is excellent. So good. Yes. I'm going to create a bard and bring my guitar to the table and play songs. Yes. Yeah, that's what she does. Well, we have some dulcimers here and mandolins. That's and, amazing. Um, I mean, her main <laughs> instrument's violins. She doesn't, she doesn't usually bring a violin, but it's really cool to have an actual musician play our bard. So when she's like, I'm going to play a healing song, she actually plays a healing song. That's so good. That is epic. Yes. <laughs> so I think one of the other things is that it helps streamline some things that would happen at a table that if you think about it from a very rules heavy perspective, you're going to want the right answer. And I mean, again, I want to air quote on an audio medium. Imagine me air. Quoting. I did that earlier too. <laughs> yeah. The, the right answer, because it's like, well, if you look at this book and there's rules as written rules as intended, what's the right answer? But it's just like, nope, the rule is cool. And yeah, you want to blow that up. Maybe you probably couldn't, but that sounds really great. So let's blow that up. Well, then I mentioned earlier, yeah, you can do that once, but don't expect that to work again for the sake of, of the rule of cool, right? <laughs> then you blow up the second time. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar thing with my sister who, she because she's a homebrew pixie, there was a, an instance where she was, she has flight, the flight spell is part of her part of her race. And so she was like, I'm going to cast flight on you and flight on you and flight on you. And she had up to four Um and we had never really established how many spell slots it would take her to, and what level to do all those, you know, um, flight spells. But we're like, you know what? It, wor 
works and you're a pixie, so why not? And we kind of established it right there. But I know that would probably annoy some people. <laughs> well, and that's one of the, the cons is maybe for those people who like rules a little bit more, having this rule of cool idea might annoy some of the rule players. So, you know, uh, at least at my table, I know I've got a couple of rules lawyers. Um, so I use it. I use those real world elements and then like the like special effect sort of more rule of cool stuff sparingly because not sparingly, I would say not all the time because they like to know the rule. And so, you know, DM Mitch and I, we, you know, one of the other hosts here, we always say we'll do it this once and then we'll look up the rule and then that's how we'll do it from now on, you know, just to appease uh, some of the rules lawyers that we have. But, you know, it's, I think for those people who especially who really get enjoyment out of knowing the rules and following the rules, used too often, the rule of cool can be cumbersome to them as well. No, for sure. The like, Well, it's like you said, it's, I guess the other important thing in doing is what kind of game are you wanting to play? Because as long as everyone's cool with it, then the rule of cool is the way to go. But mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, for but, sure. But like you said, it can be both a pro and a con. When you're using it the right way, though, everyone should be happier for it. Yeah. Well, I guess guess if you look back to the fact that it's called the rule of cool, if someone doesn't think it's cool, then it's not. But that, (laughs) you know, that kind of just works for everything at the table. I think it's important to kind of discuss with your players what kind of game that they want to be in. Because if you have half of them really wanting rule of cool, all storytelling, and then you have the other half who are like, we really want play by the rules. And then maybe you should do two separate, have two separate games because what other people find enjoyable isn't always the same. So you kind of have to find the balance with your group or, you know, people have to compromise relationships, you know, all that stuff. Right. I was like, man, this rule of cool went south real quick. (laughs) We used it the wrong way, and it split split parties apart, and relationships are broken forever. Be careful. The rule of Be cool careful. carries much much power. Instead of the ban hammer, it's the rule of cool hammer. Yeah. But I guess it's just good to know ahead of time how everyone feels about. Yeah, it. for sure. And you know, like like you said, you sit down and you talk with your players before the campaign even begins. Mm-hmm. You know, all right, what kind of rule? Especially if it's people you've never DM'd with before. Uh, like at a con or something, you know, what kind of rules do you guys, uh, what kind of game do you like? Do you like more rules heavy? Do you like more rule of cool? And if you have like a split, what I do is like a 60, 40, you know, 60 rule of cool, like 40 rules lawyers. So I, everybody gets a little bit of everything because it's not that rules lawyers don't like rule of cool. I'm not trying to say that at all, but they get enjoyment out of, you know, the following the rules and things of that nature. And so that's usually the split that I end up with. But if you're at a table for a long time with a group of players, you know what they like and trying to get them into, I could, even, even for rules lawyers, the suspension of disbelief can be in following the rules, I think, which is weird to say it's, you know, I'm not a rules lawyer by any means, so I can't imagine that, but they get a ton of enjoyment, a ton of engagement out of just following the rules and that's fine for them. And I totally get that. In, you know, other games I play, I I will be like, no, you can't break that rule. What's the point? You know, so I understand. It just depends on what you're looking for in your in your D&D game. The only thing I can keep thinking of is like, be careful. Someone's going to abuse it and be ready to handle that situation. That's the the biggest con that I can think of. And it's not and it can be completely from 
an innocent place of excitement too. So like you, you almost have to take care in how you handle it because you've allowed your players to get excited about the ability to do things that are greater than anything that they could do themselves. So in that scenario, people want to do that and potentially they will air quote abuse that system and you have to be ready to kind of shape and mold and don't have it ruin relationships. Apparently that's a thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just imagine it ha- the possibility of it happening. It's never happened at our table. We were all just like the most relaxed. So how dare, how dare you? I'm leaving the family. You know, Neil, I, I bar- I've, I've heavily borrowed this from John Arcadian, and I'm sure you remember this, Neil. He's got like the three token system where every player begins play with three poker chips that you can turn in for various different things. And part of those things is inserting story elements. And so, you know, that's a way that you can maybe limit if you've got players that you're afraid are going to abuse the power is if you want to insert a story element, that's fine, but you got to turn in one of your chips and you only get three of them a night. So, you know, use those chips wisely. So yeah, you can turn it into insert a story element to like add one D six to a roll to like retcon something like a small thing, not like, entire chunks of story more like a quick rewind button like say you forgot your favorite sword or you know whatever you know and you can use those to help advance the story but you only get to use them in you know three times a night or whatever i think that's a cool way to not let it get out of hand and it's also kind of putting the rule back on the rule of cool a little bit it's like i have a Mm -hmm. rule of three times only (laughs) yes (laughs) rule of kind of cool yeah (laughs) I mean, it could also help promote people that aren't aren't into kind of adopting that because that's another con that can happen is there can be the one person not abusing it in any way, but they're the one person that uses it all the time because they're comfortable with it, they're familiar, they have great ideas, things like that. So that could be another way to make sure that the rule of cool doesn't end up shining a spotlight on one character because they are really comfortable with it and it allow it could allow these other these other players i don't know that just sounded weird it could allow your other players to jump on board and use their chips especially because i could see the person who's run out of chips being guys guys come on come on you have the chips please use the chips please use the (laughs) chips now well and then that's the other part of the rule is you have to spend them before the night's out otherwise next session you lose one so you know and you keep losing one if you don't spend them so you know if you want to keep your three you know you, you better spend them you know, because and, and then that way, the people who aren't used to the rule of cool or, you know, whatever can be like, oh, OK, yeah, here, I'll I'll throw this in to make this happen. You know. I've like I said, I borrowed that from John Arcadian. So there you go. Hmm. We just got a, an, a bunch of um, campaign coins, sent us a bunch of coins. So those would be fun to be used oh, for that. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The DMs block. We've we've got these things we give out at cons now. I think Mitch got them. They're like. They have our logo on it, and they have the DM's Nastics logo on it, and so you could. Yeah, that's what I use uh, for little poker chips. Yep, little poker chips. Yep. Cool. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I think we've done it. I think we've had a cool time together. <laughs> I think so too, <laughs> for sure. Uh, do you have any closing tips, Kim, yep. for for DMs? Uh, just you know, maybe your top three for trying to get your players engaged in Rule of Cool that maybe we haven't talked about. Oh my gosh, um, I guess. Hmm. 
have an environment that's welcoming to the rule of cool is a good way to to incorporate it. Encourage your players to get really into character because I feel like sometimes some rule of cool stuff comes out of their characters. You know, Ichabod really you might want to do something that's so Ichabod-y that you're just like, yeah, of course, just do it, you know? So yeah, uh, just have fun. That's my main thing. Have fun. It's all about having fun. Absolutely. All right. You made, you made me think of something else. All right. Um, <laughs> so the number, uh, so if, to give my last piece of advice on this is that when your players are first doing this, and again, this is what I learned from Jim and the terrible RPG, because that's all you're doing is the rule of cool. Really? You need to be their biggest cheerleader when it starts. Um, to make them more comfortable in that scenario of doing things that don't fit specifically inside of roll this, add this, then this happens. So you need, if you want it to be at your table, you need to be the one that helps promote like, yes, that is an awesome idea. And we're totally going to do that. Thank you. And then kind of move on from there. So yeah, get ready. You got to be the cheerleader. Yeah. And, and my, to echo that, my last piece of advice would be, you know, if it's something that's super cool, and it will maybe not break the game, but like you can see your players abusing it or whatever. Yeah, we'll let it happen this once, you know. And I think that that allowing for that helps players try to come up with more like ridiculous. I don't know if ridiculous is a good word, but more creative ways to to solve the problem <laughs> or, you know, to, for social encounters or, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure. That is awesome. We will let that. That is great. We're going to let that happen. But it's, you know, that's a one-time thing. And I think having a limit on those things can help promote that creativity. It's not to stifle the creativity, but if you want something like that to happen again, you're going to have to think of a new way to achieve the same effect if you want it to happen again. So. Perfect. Well, the next question we have is, Kim, where can people go to find all the cool things you do on the internet? Cool. Yeah. So if you want to find Girls Guts Glory, um, we have our first adventure on YouTube. If you just search Girls Guts Glory, it comes out. And um, if you want to see our campaign for Wizards of the Coast, you can go to their Twitch, twitch.tv slash DND. Um, the first two episodes have aired. They're archived there, but um, you can catch us live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we have live Q&As along with our edited 15-minute um, episodes. So yeah, check that out. You can find me. I'm on Twitter at Kim Hidalgo, H-I-D-A-L-G-O, and also um, Twitter, Instagram, everything, same thing. And for Girls Guts Glory, it's at Girls Guts Glory. Yeah. Oh, and our website, girlsgutsgloryrpg.com. We have character sheets and fun photos and stuff on there. Oh, awesome. You told me something I didn't know. Perfect. <laughs> That's always good. So, again, Kim, we just want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to yeah, us for sure. about the rule of cool. Thanks so much for having me. It was really cool. Ah, uh, uh, I see uh, what you did there. <laughs> 
Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that talk that we just had with Kim Hidalgo. Definitely go check out Girls Guts Glory. You can do so yes. on the D&D Twitch. You can do so on their... No, you cannot do so on their YouTube channel. You can do so for season one on their YouTube channel. Then head over to the D&D Twitch. There we yeah. go. <laughs> Neil knows what's happening. And we just want to thank her again for coming on and spending some time with us. And hopefully we can get her back on or maybe some of her players. Who knows? But That'd be cool. Yeah. If people wanted to contact us ian and tell us how they implement the rule of cool how could they do that they can get a hold of us via our email which is dungeon master block that's dungeon master with no s block at gmail.com you can also hit us up on itunes with a review leave it as a five star that will help us get some more visibility as well as some new listeners and if it is a five-star review, there are very good chances that it will be read on an upcoming future episode. Definitely. And if you wanted to keep up to date with us, you could head over to Twitter and follow us at DMs Block. That's DMS underscore block. Or like us on Facebook, where you can also catch when we drop new episodes and all the stuff that we have going on. But guess what? As always, we have a Patreon dragon that we want to give a shout out to. And da, da, da. Today's shout out goes to Joshua, Joshua Safi. And Joshua is a gold dragon tearing up the the forums and checking out all the cool stuff that we have on Patreon that you too could check out if you wanted to. This podcast is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. If you like this show, check out other shows like The GM Showcase, Geek Wars, we're so bad at adventuring, and more. That's all we have for you today from the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm DM Ian. We'll see you next week on the Dungeon Master's Block. All right, I'm packing it in, getting ready. I've been DM, DM, nope, and I failed. <laughs> like, it was a really good question, too, and I should have, I should have, I have ADHD, and I know better, I should write things like that. Down. I'm sure it was a good question. <laughs> it was a fantastic question. It was very, like, on the nose, like, pretty much the best question that's ever been asked. Goodbye.